Can you hear me now? All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd invite you to open them to John chapter 1. If not, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you, or you can simply follow along on the screen behind me. As we enter into a time of reflecting on the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you so much for your one and only Son, who's been sent into this world as the Savior of the world. Jesus, as we take time to consider who you are and why you've come today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us and encourage us and call us unto you, each one of us, through your word we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you are a first-timer today with us, we are uh, wrapping up our Advent series today as we consider uh, the person of Jesus Christ, uh, who he is and why he has come. You know, Advent is a time each year where we as Christians reflect on the promises of God and the coming of Jesus. That's what Advent actually means, the arrival or the coming of. Each Advent season, we take time to look back and we look at the fulfilled promise in the first coming of Jesus Christ. As God said that I will send my son into the world who will be a savior of the world to save people from their sins. That happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, as we have been hearing about all morning. Advent is also a time to uh, reflect and look within for all those who by faith have received Jesus and are followers of God and belong to God's family. The Holy Spirit of the living God now dwells within us and wants to live through us. But it's also a time to reflect and to remember the promise of God that Jesus will again return someday. And when he does, he will establish his kingdom rule and reign on earth. And at that time, he will take all that's wrong in the world and make it right. That's what Advent does for us. It's really a season of hope. Yes, Advent is about Christmas. And so let me ask you this question. When I say, what do you think about when you think about Christmas? What comes to mind? I'm going to give you just a moment to, okay, that's enough, all right? What I really want to know is not a response from you, but I want to just trigger some thoughts within you. What does Christmas bring to mind? I understand that for everybody, Christmas is not always a joyous time of the year. For some of you, Christmas, when I ask the question, might mean stress, it might mean pain and heartache, family tension sadness, loneliness, or maybe loss for you. And if this is what you think of when you think of Christmas, I'm sorry. My heart goes out to you, and I pray for you. But I also know that there are people who find Christmas to be a real time of joy and celebration, and maybe things that come to your mind, Christmas music and manger scenes, trees and lights, presents and parties and programs and family and food and goodies and games and fun times. I mean, after all, sometimes Christmas can be all of that, right? With the commercialization of Christmas, it is actually easy to go through the entire Christmas season without ever thinking about or reflecting on who Christmas is about, Jesus Christ. After all, if Jesus didn't come, we would have no reason to celebrate Christmas. 
Now, there's a lot of symbols and, and a lot of images that remind us of Jesus at Christmas time, and one of those is the manger scene. And if you were to uh, set out a manger with some straw and put a little baby in it, uh, who would you think of when you see that? Jesus, right? I mean, everybody knows that it was Jesus who was placed in the manger. Today, we're going to take just a moment to reflect on John chapter 1 as we consider Jesus' identity. What does God say about his son? Who is he really? And why did he come? I don't know if you've ever had to prove your identity, but when I travel, all of the different IDs that I bring with me between my driver's license and my passport and usually my travel badge, um, I end up having to prove my identity by showing a picture that doesn't always sit well with everybody. If you know me well enough or you don't know me at all, what I want you to be aware of is that depending on the time of season that I take my picture, I can look very different. Now, I happen to grow hair like a chia pet. So I can take a picture with long hair, short hair, long beard, no beard, some beard. The only thing my wife has asked me is to not shave my head. So I guess if I lose all my hair and it falls out, well, I'm in trouble. You can pray for me. But honestly, when I go and I travel abroad and I show all of my IDs, it's inevitable. They ask me this question, is this you? <laughs> yes. And then I go through a series of questions upon having to prove my identity. Today, as we examine the scriptures, what I want to show you quickly is how God has proven who Jesus is through his very word to us. And so the first thing we find when we reflect on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14, is that God has revealed Christ to us. Follow along with me. Verse 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, for God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14, so the word became flesh or became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. By starting out his gospel, by stating, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John, who wrote the gospel of John, is actually introducing Jesus to us with a, a word or a term that both Jewish and Gentile readers would have been very familiar with. The Greek word translated word in this passage is actually the word logos. And it was a common in both Greek philosophy and Jewish thought of the day. Now, I want to pause here just to captivate your attention for a moment. This sounds technical, and it kind of is. So I'm going to take you through a brief description of what the word logos or the word really means, then we're going to land the plane and hopefully understand this very well. So 
For Jewish readers, by introducing Jesus as the Word, John was in a sense pointing them back to the Old Testament where the logos or Word of God is associated with the personification of God's revelation. See, Jews understood God to be the creator of all things and to be continually revealing himself to humanity through his word, through his prophets, through his creation, and also through his spirit. Now, if we consider the Greek philosophy of the day, what we would understand is that the term logos was used to describe the intermediate agency by which God created material things and then communicated with them. It's important to understand that Greek philosophy had an understanding that deity was good and anything made or material was evil. So to put anything good and evil together as in bringing deity to anything created or flesh was a foreign concept that would have been rejected. I think what John was doing is he was affirming a Jewish thought in a Greek philosophy that he could at least use as a starting point, bringing them together and then completing the thought. And in doing so, revealing to us who Jesus really is. You see, logos in its simplest terms basically means the expression of a thought. Okay? So logos can be thought of as the total message of God to us, people, to humanity. The total message of God to humanity. And Jesus embodied the total message of God to us. And that is why he is called logos or the word of God. So to answer the question, who is Jesus? This is what John actually tells us. Jesus is God in a human body. John described Jesus here as eternal, creator, source of life, fully human, and fully God. Now that is quite an identity, isn't it? In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on to, to, to mention about Jesus the Son, this is the Son of God, Jesus himself, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. How amazing is that? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Quite literally, you could say, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So why did he come? Well, John tells us that his life brought light to everyone. And by doing so, God reveals to us through Jesus that we are sinners in need of a Savior. See, any time that light penetrates darkness, what does it do? It reveals the truth or the reality of the situation. And one of the things that God has revealed to us is that our relationship with the Father is broken because of our sin. And if we are left to our own, we would never pursue the Father. We would never pursue Jesus, for He is the one who pursues us. And the reason for this is, because of sin, our heart prefers darkness 
over the light. But God's love for us is seen. It's seen in his coming, and it is experienced in his constant pursuit of us. You see, God knew that we could never get to him on our own, in our own way. And so he sent Jesus to us to make a way for us to get to him. God knows what we need, and that's exactly why he came. Because God is creator and knows what his creation needs, he also knows what's best for us. I've got a short story to illustrate this. This is great. It was Charles Steinmetz, the mechanical genius and friend of Henry Ford, that could build a motor in his mind. And when it broke down, he could fix it in his mind. So when he designed it and actually built it, it ran with precision. Well, one day the assembly line in the Ford plant broke down. None of Ford's men could fix it, so they called Steinmetz. He tinkered just for a few minutes, threw the switch, and it started running again. A few days later, Ford received a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000. Ford wrote back, Charlie, don't you think your bill is a little high for just a little tinkering? Steinmetz sent back a revised bill. Tinkering, $10. Knowing where to tinker, $9,990. You see, Only Jesus knows where the tinkering should be done in our lives to keep us running perfectly. He knows which screws are loose. He knows which belts need to be tightened. And he knows which fuel will cause us to run with efficiency. He's our creator. He knows what's best for us. And that is why he came. Now get this, John tells us in the preceding verses that people responded to Jesus coming to earth in the flesh three different ways. The first one is that Christ was not recognized by many, beginning in verse 6 through 10. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So how did Jesus come into the world? He came into the world as light to penetrate the darkness of our hardened hearts to expose our problem of sin and our need for a Savior. He did this out of love and out of compassion for us. Remember, we would never pursue God on our own, for He started it. He pursued us first. And it's God's light that reveals the greatness of His love for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, John writes these words, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice 
to take away our sins. See, Christmas is about the birth of Christ, and Easter is about the resurrection of Christ. The reality is we need them both so that we can be saved through Christ. It was John the Baptist who was called to be the front runner to the light, to be the one who tells everybody who is coming after him. But it was even John the Baptist who was wondering if he missed the mark or if he didn't actually recognize Jesus for who he was. In fact, there was a time in John's life where he was put in prison. His days were numbered, and he was wondering about Jesus. He sends some of his disciples to Jesus, and he says, go and ask Jesus if he is the one, if he is the Messiah, if he's the one that we are waiting for. Well, Jesus sends back and tells these disciples to report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. See, all these miracles that Jesus was doing proved his identity to be the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior of the world. Have you ever wondered if you've mistaken Jesus for who he really is? Have you ever been in that place in life where things aren't easy? In fact, they're really hard. Your heart is heavy and the weight you're bearing of the world is on your shoulders. And you begin to ask the question, God, if you're so loving, where are you? Why do I feel alone? Why do I feel like I can't handle what life has to offer? You might be familiar with a really famous poem. It's called Footprints in the Sand. I'm not going to read it to you. And I hope that if you don't know it, you look it up. Let me give you the big idea. There's two sets of footprints in the sand as the two individuals are walking along the shoreline. And eventually, the two footprints turn into one set of footprints. And it's there that the author of the poem questions God and says, God, see, there was that time where you left me. Why did you do that? And God replied by saying, no, my child, I didn't leave you. It was then that I embraced you. I picked you up and I carried you. What a great reminder that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. But that God will be present for us and love us when we need him. We all need a Savior, but not everyone will look to Jesus for salvation. In fact, it's more natural for us to look within ourselves to save ourselves before we ever turn to God and look to Him to save us. Too often people reject Christ because they think they can do for themselves what only Christ can do for them. And this leads us to the next response that people have as they reject Christ. Verse 11, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. Who is this people? This is a nation of Israel. The Jews, they rejected their savior when he came. The Old Testament tells us that God made a covenant with his people, Israel, that he promised to send them a savior who would come and not only save them from their sin, but save them as a nation. When their savior came, the Messiah, they refused to accept him and acknowledge him for who he is as God. 
They refused to accept him as their Messiah. And as a result, God made a way then for us Gentiles to come into the family of God. How gracious. You see, Jews, they anticipated their Messiah would come as a conquering king. They anticipated that that their Messiah would show up and that he would restore the nation of Israel back to the glory days of King David. Fact of the matter is, the Messiah did come, but he came first as a humble servant to deal with the sin problem every single person on earth has. But then there's that other reason we celebrate Advent, the promised return of the glorious King Jesus, where he will set up his kingdom on earth. He will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. In his book, Mere Christianity, the author C.S. Lewis described how people see Jesus, how people respond to Jesus. It's a bit hard, so please don't be offended, but listen closely. People often say about him, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him and his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, John presented Jesus as God, creator, and Savior. And as C.S. Lewis wrote, we must all decide whether or not we will accept him as such. Now for the good news. It's really good news. See how others responded to Jesus. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, Jesus made a way for us to be made right with God. Essentially, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this is why Jesus came. He came so that we could be adopted and become a child of the living God. See, this happens when we place our faith or our trust in Jesus to be our Savior. Faith is simply believing God, believing Jesus for who he said he is, believing Jesus for what he says he can do, and then responding in obedience to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God as we live our lives for God. Now, being adopted into the family of God, well, it comes with benefits, great benefits. 
It comes with a new life and a new family. It comes with instant access to the Father in all rights and privileges as being a child of God. This life will bring abundant life and it will also bring eternal life. In fact, if you trust Jesus for your salvation, the promise of God is that he will give you his Holy Spirit as a deposit to seal within you the inheritance that God has in store for you. And when the spirit of the living God is in you, he also promises to produce a fruit through you, a fruit that all people desire. In fact, let me ask you this question. Who of you in here doesn't want to live a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and a life of self-control? That is actually the fruit that the Spirit produces in everybody who becomes a follower of God and who lives in obedience to His Spirit and to His Word. And if that's the kind of life that you want to live and you're not living it, I invite you to receive this Christmas the greatest gift that God has ever offered to humanity, the gift of His one and only Son. His name is Jesus. He's God in the flesh who came to save us from our sin. And if you have never received Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, let today, this Christmas morning, be the day that God brings to you a new life through His Son, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your word that brings life and brings understanding to who Jesus is and why he has come. I pray that God, as we celebrate continually this Christmas day, the joy that has come to this world, that God, we would be able to, with great joy, not only reflect on who you are in us, but tell others about the good news of your son, Jesus, so that they too can come to know you as Savior and Lord. Pray that you'll bless our time as we continue to sing and lift our voices to you. In Christ's name, amen.